Thank you. Well, I'm excited to be here tonight to preach. Um, I know that Pastor said this morning that this would be a classic Rex person sermon. And a lot of you immediately thought, oh, that's a review. It's a classic means it's a repeat. Well, it, it's not classic in that way. Uh, actually, a month ago, before Ruth Jensen's funeral, I was driving home from her house, actually Beth Bowman's house, back to the church, and the Lord kind of spoke to me about the message I should preach for her funeral. And I came back after the funeral, and I told Pastor, Pastor, I need to preach this message in a service. And uh, so the Lord kind of laid this on my heart, but I, I wanted to develop it a little bit more. And so there's a lot of content here, but it's classic because there's at least five or six stories, personal stories, personal illustrations and so one of your challenges tonight will be to find out how many of these first illustrations have you heard before. <laughs> one of the reasons I felt challenged to preach the message again, this message with these illustrations, uh, was the fact that um, uh, almost to the person, people said to me, I've never heard that story before. I said, are you kidding me? These are people I've known for years and years and years and years. Surely you've heard these stories. So I'm curious how many of these stories you've heard tonight. Um, how many of you know what this is? What is it? It's a label maker. Boy, you must really be old if you think this is a Rolodex. <laughs> you know, I just threw away my Rolodex. It just occurred to me when I was cleaning my office... Who needs a Rolodex? Everything's electronic. Everything is right there. Why do I need a Rolodex? And finally, after years and years and years, my faithful Rolodex went into the trash. Well, this is a label maker. And we use label makers out here in the church to help our children find their way so we know who our children are and who their parents are. It's a way for us to know our families, um, kind of a security measure for us. And these label makers come in great handy, but all of us have labels. Uh, how many of you are skiers in the room? I would label yourself as a skier. How many would say I'm a baseball player? Label yourself as a baseball player. How about a football player? All right, we got some football players in the room. How many would label yourselves as a cheerleader? Let me see the cheerleaders in there. Okay, we've got a guy over here that's a cheerleader. We, we have labels, don't we? And, and it's a... We've become very accustomed to a lot of these labels. Uh, there are labels in our lives. And today we're going to look at, tonight we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 10 through 14. I want you to turn there in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. And just kind of hold your finger there. We're going to look at several scriptures along the way, but our text that we will keep referring back to is right here in Philippians 3, 10 through 14. You know, prior to Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, he had many labels that would describe him. He was an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. That was a, a label from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regards to the law, well, he was a Pharisee. For zeal, he persecuted the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, well... Paul was, Saul was faultless. But after his conversion experience, his label and his title changed. 
This man who was once called Saul was now called Paul. He had an encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. He now was a follower of Christ. He was a follower of the king of the Jews. The one he sought to persecute, he now followed. The old way of thinking was now being transformed by the renewing of his mind. He had a new label. He was a new creation. The old had gone. The the new had come. We have labels, don't we, in our lives. I I have a few t-shirts up here. This one is from Olivet Nazarene University. And the university labeled that kind of a ink that's a little hard to read. I like it, so people have to figure out what university is that. And then you have other shirts like Live Strong. And, and I used to really like to wear this shirt a lot. But after Lance Armstrong fell, then I kind of embarrassed to wear it in the gym. And so it doesn't get quite the workout that it once used to get out. Get, get, get. Uh, it, the label doesn't mean as much to me these days that it once did. Then I have another shirt from Azusa Pacific University. I kind of like to wear this one because it's out in California. You know, surfers, surfers are cool and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of a cool label to to wear. You know, where's Azusa Pacific? Oh, it's up in the mountains. It's beautiful up there. It's a wonderful university to attend. And, of course, then there's Ohio State University. And I used to always love this shirt. And I still work out with these. But, you know, for a while there... My Ohio State shirts kind of went by the wayside for a while. You know, Jim Trestle fell and, and all the rigmarole role with him. Uh, the reality is uh, we have labels. And who has the right to really label these shirts? That's a question. Who has the right to label the shirt? What do you think? Who has the right to label the shirts? The shirt maker, the manufacturer. Okay, who else? The buyer, the purchaser, and, of course, the owner. So, you know, it could be the purchaser or it could be the person who's buying it, like the university who's buying it. It's the owner. So we have a manufacturer, an owner, a purchaser who would purchase these in order to label these shirts. I want to have another question for you. How many of you remember junior high or middle school? Just raise your hand. Junior high or some of you are still in junior high or middle school. It's really a time of labels. It was a time where I had a few labels of my own. Um, you see, when I went to junior high, it was in seventh grade. Now, my junior high school was seventh grade through ninth grade. We didn't have middle school back then in the dark ages. And uh, so it was seventh grade through ninth grade. And I, my seventh grade year, I had severe buck teeth. I mean, they were severe. They stuck way out. They were much too big for my head. And they, they were the first thing you saw when I came walking towards you. Severe buck teeth. Well, the day before school started, my best friend, Kendall Savage, and I went and played miniature golf. And he had his putter, and we were putting, and we were playing. And, and he put his putter up on his shoulder, and he spun around to say something to me. And when he did, his putter hit me right here in the tooth. Knocked my tooth right in half, exposing the nerve. And so then they had to go up and take out the nerve and do a little root canal. And they put this silver band on my front tooth, which stayed there all of my seventh grade year. So not only did I have these severely bucked teeth, but I had this silver band on my tooth. And so I found that I had this label. It's down here on the ground. 
homely. That was a label. It's kind of homely. I mean, he really wasn't all that attractive. Matter of fact, it was so bad that the guys would say, you know the girls that Rex has been kissing because they have a hole in their lip right there. And then I played tennis, you know. This is a time you're kind of learning new sports. And I played tennis with a girl. Her name was Judy Mutersball. And I remember her. I don't know why I remember her name, but I remember she killed me in tennis. And so I found that I had another label. Not athletic. (laughs) And then after that, um, I found out that, you know, I really struggled at spelling. English wasn't my thing. And uh, academically, I just struggled academically. They put me in all honors classes because I would get C's whether I was in honors or regular classes. So might as well put him in honors classes. But I struggled academically. I was the youngest and the smallest kid in school. And so academically, it was difficult for me. And so I found that I had this other label, not college material. And we find that we have these labels in life, and we begin to really own them, don't we? It wasn't until my junior year of college that I realized, you know what? I'm as smart as the rest of these people. (laughs) But we, we own labels, don't we, so often. And then every day I would walk home from school. And when I would walk home from school, I would go from the high, from the junior high to the high school. And there was a guy in high school, his name was Eric Anderson. And he would walk home and, and we would pass each other every day. And every day he, he would say, hi Rex, I used to have a dog named Rex. Every day. And so I had another name, another label. The label was, my name is Dog. And we have labels, don't we? And if we're not careful, we allow the labels of life to define us. To determine who we are in life. Now I have a very important question for you. And teenagers, if you're a junior higher, a middle schooler, a high schooler, this is an important question. Probably has the potential to be one of the most important questions that you will ever answer in your life. Who has the right Who has the right to label you? Who has the right to label you? Is it your friends, your peers? How many of us allow our friends and our peers to label us? We've bought their label. We've allowed their label to impact our life in such a way that uh, it determines the direction of our lives. Who has the right to label you? Is it your coaches? Rex, you'll never be able to run. (laughs) Your legs are just too short. And I've never really been able to run. (laughs) Not very well. I mean, but, but I still like to run. Is it our teachers? Is it our boss, our co-workers? Who has the right to label us? Is it our parents, our peers? You see, the reality is nobody has the right to label us, except for the one who made you, the one who owns you, the one who purchased you with a great price. Who has the right to label you? 
Do you understand tonight that you are God's creation? That He loves you? Just as you are. Today, right now, in this moment, God loves you. The scripture says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear, he is knocking, knocking, knocking. He is constantly saying to us, I love you. He loves us. But far too many young people allow the labels of the world to influence them. They buy into the world's direction, and they compromise, and they make decisions. They choose directions that, where, when God is not the center of that direction, because they want their way. They want to follow the world's way. And before they know it, they are doing things that they do not want to do. They're accepting values that, that they do not want to accept, that they don't even agree with. And yet, life is full of compromises. In a study done years ago, Gary Railsbeck found, found that 50% of incoming freshmen who identified themselves as born-again born students, um, four years later, did not identify themselves as born-again. Now, students who attended a um, Christian college, an evangelical college, uh, a study by Henderson found that they had a significant positive impact on their spiritual well-being. They rated themselves highly spiritually. They attended religious service. They had an increased commitment to developing a meaningful philosophy of life. You see, the choices of life are significant. That doesn't mean if I go to a public university that I will fall away spiritually. Of course not. But the question is, who are you going to allow to label you? What decisions do you make and why do you make them? Is Christ central? Is he the focus of every decision? You see, if we do the things we know we ought to do, if we're sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in the little things, he will lead us into the bigger things of life. The reason we enjoyed Scott and Jill's testimony so much today was the fact that there's this story of obedience. Is your story one of obedience? Are you allowing Christ to label you? To mark you as his own? You see, he has already done it. He's already identified you as his child. But the choice is up to us to choose him. Who will you allow to label you? I'm afraid that far too often many accept or even embrace labels, other, labels that are not their own. Labels, do not, labels that do not value the Lord and put Him central. So you make decisions that you regret. One compromise after another. And before you know it, you're at a place you never chose to be. You see, it's the direction, not the intention, that determines our destination. And it's when we put Christ first, and He's central in the decisions of our life, in seeking His will, 
and understanding that I am a follower of Christ. I don't do these things because the church says we don't do this. I choose Christ. I choose to be different because of Christ, because of His love for me. Who are you allowing to label you? Do you know Christ? Do you know the power of His resurrection in your life? That's the central question tonight. But far too often, many have conformed to the patterns of this world. And they end up in a place and they don't even know how they got there. I don't know how this happened. At age 29 and away from the church and away from the Lord. Living a pattern that they did not choose, but they did. You see, they kind of floated aimlessly with the streams of life. And before they knew it, they were off course. And then they read a scripture like the one found in 1 Corinthians 6, 8. That says, instead you yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to your brothers and your sisters. Or don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor the adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And we find ourselves far from God, and there's this tension between where we would like to be, where we intended to be, and where we've drifted to. There's this tension between the reality of what is and what we desire. We read scriptures like this and we feel convicted because we know we are not living the way that God intended for us to live. And it convicts us. And he knocks. But out of our conviction we run from him. You see, this all happens, young people, because we lost focus of who has the right to label us. The scripture says, be not conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You marry. Christ is not central to that marriage. You you marry and all of a sudden you're in a relationship and and many couples live together, more couples live together than, than not today. They marry and it's not too often. That we hear, I didn't know him. I didn't know her. And the marriage ends in divorce. And then they read a scripture like this. Found in Luke. Chapter 16. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And we find this tension between the reality of what is and what ought to be. And it's uncomfortable for us. I I know this, how uncomfortable it is, because I was a child of divorce. Um, It was my ninth grade year. Between my ninth and tenth grade year, 
my dad came to get me. I was uh, camping out with a bunch of my buddies. We were just sleeping out and running the night and just having a great time and, and uh, watching the stars, all that kind of good stuff that boys do. And uh, dad came. said, Rex, I need to talk to you. And pulled me away from my camp out and said, uh, your mom and I are going to get a divorce. They'd spoke of that earlier, and I said, you can't. You can't do that to me, was my response. By this time, I realized this was a reality, and I realized that I was older, and it probably wouldn't have that great of an impact on my life. But I remember reading this scripture, and there was this tension. You see, it says very clearly, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another who com- woman commits adultery. And a man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It's very clear. And so there was this tension between what ought to be. You see, God said the two will become one flesh. And the reality that I was living in. And what do you do with this tension? God, what do you do with this tension? To which Christ said, I don't do anything to them. I'll do something for them. And Christ died for our sins. So that we might have life and have it to its full. You see, we live life and we allow the labels of life, sometimes our own mistakes, to label us in such a way that keeps us from walking with the Lord. When all along the Lord desires to live and to walk with us. What are the labels that you've attached to you? I can't make it. I've tried the Christian life. I've tried to live for Him. I'm a failure. What are the labels that you've assigned to yourself? You see, Christ loves us, and he died for us so that we might have life and have it to its full. Now I want you to look with me at Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter um, 3, verse 10. The scripture says, I want to know Christ. Is this your testimony tonight? I I want to know Christ more than anything in life. I want to know Christ. I want Christ to be first and foremost in my life. Is that your testimony? This is what Paul is saying. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now, this word know literally means, it's not a knowledge of, but to know. Now, when I was in 8th, ninth grade, there was this girl. Her name was Dawn Moeller. She was cute. She was blonde. I guess it was my sophomore year. My sophomore year in college. She was kind of interested in me. And we were right beside each other. Her locker was there. My locker was here. She dated a guy who was in the skydiving club with me. And, and then in my senior year, we, kind of, we each kind of broke off. And it was like this tension between this relationship and friends. But in my sophomore year, she was sharing her faith around the table of friends. And she was just this coolest girl. She, she, would just, she was so open and honest. And everywhere she would go, she would share her faith. And some guys began to make fun of her. Don, you don't know what you're talking about. And they began to make fun of her faith. And I remember sticking up for her. 
You see, I was raised in the church. I I grew up in the church. And I knew what she was saying was true. I knew about Christ, but I didn't know him. I did not have a personal relationship. I hadn't asked him into my heart and my life. I was just kind of following my parents' religion. He wasn't central. He wasn't the one labeling me. And I remember sharing, what she is saying is true. I want to know Christ. It's a personal relationship. I want to know an intimacy with Christ. Yes, to know the power of of the resurrection. What? Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. What does that mean? The power of the resurrection. I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection. You see, it's this transformative power that transforms us into the image of Christ. It's His power of the resurrected Lord that transforms us, that renews our mind. The old His throne, as far as the east is from the west, our sins. And he transforms us into his image. Not in our strength, not in our striving, but in our obedience. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. The power of his resurrection is to will and act according in you, according to his good purpose. I remember sitting with Jill many hours, riding on buses, talking about, dreaming about her future. We had no clue what your future looked like. And I remember saying to you one night, I'm so excited to see how God leads you into your future. Do you remember that? You see, to will and act according to His good purpose. Who are you allowing to label you? Do you want your life to be labeled? By the things of this world? Or do you want your life to be labeled by the things of God? Who are you allowing to label you? I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection. You see, when Christ died in his physical body, he rose again in his physical body. He defeated death. And it's this physical body, this physical body that we now have, that he transforms, that he sanctifies through the power of the resurrection. Philippians 1.6 says it this way, being confident of this, That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, his victories, his victories are our victories. John 4, 4 says, you dear children are from God and however come them and have overcome them. 
Because the one who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. You see, his victories are your victories. The power of the resurrection. You see, if, if, if I could play a game and just make a decision that I'm going to be on the winning team, I'll choose the winning team every time. If I knew the outcome of the game, you betcha, I want to get on that winning team. But we know. We know the outcome of the game. Because the battle has already been won. The victory has already been proclaimed. And Christ's victory is your victory. And he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. You see, the power of the resurrection is also guaranteed to us, to us not only in this life, but in the life to come. For when Christ rose again, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. So who are you allowing to label you? The next part of that scripture is, and the participation in his suffering. I need to get this back out here. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the, and the participation in his suffering. What does that mean? Well, Paul is talking about the suffering, being like Christ, doing the work of Christ. Of course, we know Paul. You know, he, he created all these churches around the Mediterranean Rim. and He was beaten. He was flogged. He was shipwrecked. He knew, he knew a lot about suffering. And he wanted to share. You see, he understood that it was a privilege to stand for Christ. To even suffer with Christ. He understood the scripture in Hebrews 12 where it said, Who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you do not grow weary. Christ endured opposition. And Paul understood that. And he was looking to Christ, the author and perfecter of his faith. And so when we face suffering, we need to understand the privilege of that. When we're persecuted for our faith, and very few of us rarely are. You see, we live in our little Christian bubbles, and we rarely face persecution. There may be a day. But the reality is, all of us face hardships. We don't understand why cancer comes. And we can allow cancer to defeat us. And yet, part of this life is the reality of life and death, the suffering and when we allow Christ to be glorified in the, even in the most difficult circumstances. You see, that's kind of what Paul was talking about here. Do you see it? I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his suffering. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Then verse 12 says, not that I've already obtained all this, I've already arrived at my goal. Now, I like the old NIV. It says, or I've already been made perfect. The NIV in 1984, uh, that version, 
uh, had or already been made perfect. Now, you can't even find that on Bible Gateway anymore. They, I noticed in the last month they've taken that version out. But I love that. I've already been made perfect. Well, we say, you know, nobody's perfect. But, you know, I have this cup. It was given to me by Chuck and Carla Sunberg. They gave it to all the staff and they came to town as pastors. And Pastor Brady, you didn't bring me anything. Uh, <laughs> And on this cup, it has my name, says Rex. I, I've cherished the cup. Um, you know, when I was a teenager, Rex meant dog. When Saul was a follower of the things of the world, his name was Saul. But when he became a follower of Christ, his name was changed to Paul. I later learned that my name really means king. And the reality is, we are all kings. We are all children of the king. Heirs of the king. And the question is, who are you allowing to label you? A child of the king. Now, this cup is not perfect. It's got a few nicks on it. And yet it's perfectly designed for its purpose. The truth is, you're not without flaws. You have your shortcomings. I have my shortcomings. And yet as we're obedient to Christ, as we listen to his voice and we do the good we know we ought to do, as we're obedient to his truth, as we endeavor to be his followers, he transforms us into his image. It, it's an amazing thing. It, it's not in our striving. It's in allowing him to be who he is through us. In us. Because we are in Him. And so the scripture says, not that I've already obtained all this, or already been made perfect. And I'm right there with Paul. I, I'm still not there. I haven't obtained all this, or already been made perfect. But God is using this imperfect vessel for His glory. And God can use your imperfect vessel for his glory. And you won't always figure it out. Matter of fact, there are going to be times in life you're just so confused. And you may even want to throw in the towel. There may be times in life where you become so weary of walking the walk of faith. There may be a desert period in your life where you wonder where is God. In those moments, put your hand in his hand and trust him. And be obedient to him. And live for him. For he is faithful. He has promised to carry it through for you. And as you're obedient to his truth, he will lead you and he will guide you. So the scripture says, becoming like him 
anticipating in his suffering and becoming like him and somehow obtaining the resurrection from dead, the dead, not that I've already obtained all this, I've already arrived at the goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I claim all that is mine in Christ. I used to manage a pool. And when I first took the job, this is the sixth illustration. I want to know how many of the six you knew. When I first took the job, I had no clue what it meant to manage. I had the title, the title of manager. And over time, I learned it. Uh, I had 27 employees that worked for me. We opened the pool. We'd have a 1,000 patrons there during the day. It was a wonderful job. But the very first day, I was so confused. That night, I had to count money. I never counted that much money in my life. There were quarters stacked everywhere without a quarter wrapper in sight. (laughs) Finally, when the quarters kept falling over after 1 o'clock in the morning, I just kind of raked it all into a bag and put it in the bank deposit slot. And the next day, showed up at the bank kind of sheepishly and watched them count the money for me. I didn't know what to do. I had the title manager. You see, when we become Christians, the truth is we're clueless in this walk of faith. But as we're obedient to his word, as we're obedient to his truth, his truth, as we're obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit, he transforms us into his image. You see, it's, it's him working in us. Not that I've already obtained all this, I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Are you pressing on? Are you pressing on toward the goal to win the prize? Are you allowing Christ to label you redeemed, child of the King, beloved? You see, He's the all sufficient one, He's the hope. In our hopelessness. When we feel helpless. He is our helper. When we are weak. He is strong. When I am confused. He says. If any of you lack wisdom. He would give abundantly. Without finding fault. He's our counselor. He's the one who supports us. And strengthens us. Are you allowing Christ to label you? I've asked Chad. He's going to lead this in a song, and I'm not even sure what he's going to sing. And I've directed this message tonight to the teens, mainly because I've cut my teeth on teenagers. My heart is always towards teens. And there's a lot of heartache before you. 
And without Christ, there's a good chance you'll make decisions in which he is not the core. But with Christ, you'll be able to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you know Christ? How you, have you allowed him to label you, to guide you, to direct your life? Are you allowing the world to make those decisions for you? Let's sing this song together.